this week has been quite interesting, hasn't it? It's been very interesting, and I, I don't want to... I was debating on whether to say anything at all, but um, it's kind of like the elephant in the room, and I think I have to just say a few things. I really don't want to spend much time on this at all. I hope not, uh, because we've got uh, other things that are more um, important to discuss this morning. But it is um, disheartening to see what has happened, and... um, And I think... What is disheartening as well is just the loss of freedom that we have in our country. I don't know if you knew this, but yesterday, uh, uh, it might have even been the day before yesterday, I think it was yesterday, that um, uh, Twitter finally uh, kicked President Trump completely off of Twitter. They suspended his account permanently, and they removed a lot of followers from several other conservative Christian uh, or even just conservative, but also conservative Christian uh, people who had thousands of followers. Amir Sarfati is one of them. He had several thousand people following him. And Twitter just indiscriminately just took away, like, I think he said, like 10,000 of his followers, just erased them. And, um, and, and many others, and it's happening a lot. And I've heard of so many other people, you know, Dan Bongino and you know, um, you name them, all these big uh, talking heads of conservative uh, media, they are all being censored uh, to the max. And uh, they're also removing a, an application called Parler. I don't know if you've heard of it. How many of you have heard of Parler? I'm actually on Parler, and I've been a part of that for uh, several months now. And uh, it is really the only app uh, that was available uh, for free speech, where you can basically, you weren't going to be censored for anything. So you really saw the good, the bad, the ugly on that platform, but it was free. It was free speech, right? Isn't that what the First Amendment is about? Aren't we old enough to determine what we take in and what we, how we process those things? Are, are, are we? I mean, we are adults. And so, and of course, with freedom, there's responsibility too, and that's why we got to be careful. But at the same time, They've taken that, uh, not only did Google take it off uh, the day before yesterday, they took it off their app store, but now um, uh, Apple has done the same. And so um, they removed it completely. And so I don't even think you can download it right now. And, And if that wasn't enough to silence and put a squelch on free speech, they went a step further and Amazon got involved. And they said, you know what, the fact that, because you can still go to parlor.com and log in and, and do your business there, right? You don't need the app necessarily. So what did Amazon do? The very site that Parler is on is really an Amazon site. They host that, that parlor.com. Do you follow me? And so and many other organizations as well, businesses. So what they said is, we're going to remove your listing, which means that there's coming uh, and uh, where it won't be available, period. Now, if you have it on your phone now, um, it's very possible that you can still keep it on. I don't know what fancy things they can do, but remotely they can, re- they can delete apps. So it'll be interesting to see. I wrote a letter to Tim Cook last night. <laughs> I'm sure he'll never see it. But expressing my um, dismay at what they had done. Because they, of all the tech, big tech companies, were the leader in privacy, in uh, security. 
and also in freedom of speech. They were the benchmark for everyone else, and now they themselves have gone the way of the world. I mean, they were always the way of the world, don't get me wrong, but now they are in, in bed with all of this, and, and so it's really disconcerting. And, uh, and so big tech and big media are really silencing you, and they're silencing the president from getting any message out. It's getting pretty scary, and the mainstream media won't play anything that he says. Um, and so it's getting really, really ugly. And let me just say this, and then we got to move on. This is what we've been talking about. In Revelation, we have been talking about this. Never in the history of this country have we experienced what we're experiencing today. And it ought to alarm you. And it's time that you, Christian, we need to be praying more than ever. We don't need to be raising our guns and shooting into the air and breaking into things. By the way, that whole thing the other day, I believe, was a hoax. I don't think that, I mean, it really happened, but I don't think it was what everybody thought. And certainly not what the media is portraying it to be. But this is not a time for us to get in militias. I mean, if you do, that's your own business. But as a Christian, I'm called to pray and I'm called to live peaceably. I'm called to live a Christ-like life, to mimic and, and to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. That's what we need to do right now. We don't need to be called to violence. So now is the time. We've been talking about this in Revelation. The writing is on the wall. If there is any of you here, either online or here personally, do not delay in your thoughts and your attitude, your walk with Jesus Christ. Now is the time to dig in and to really get focused. It is not a time to be daydreaming. Now is the time. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, you need to know him today because there is never a time. I mean, I'm I'm serious. I'm looking at all this stuff and it is really, really frightening. And I don't want to unsettle you, although I probably already have. But it's a sobering thing and it's the elephant in the room. I can't help but talk about it briefly. But it's something that we need to be very concerned about. And you need to get on your phones and you need to start talking to legislators. And no longer can we just sit back and, and let the legislators and people do what they want. We need to be actively involved in this, all of this. And I'm, for one, to be sh- I'm ashamed of the way I've been because for, for so many years, I just kind of did my own thing. and could care less about what they did. Not anymore. I want to be involved. I want to have a voice because I let my voice just kind of be blasé. And again, I'm not confused about where my kingdom is. I'm not confused about where I'm going. Neither should you. I'm not confused about who my king is. My king is not Donald Trump. It is not anybody else on this planet. Our king is Jesus Christ. I know who my king is. I know where I'm going. But until then, until he removes us from the earth, my responsibility and yours as well is to abide and to be the light of Christ and to expose darkness and promote the truth. Right? That's what we're to do. Jesus never called us to shoot people. He never called us to burn things down. Antifa and others do that very well. Notice the double standard there. But as soon as a, uh, well, we won't get into that. Pray. Pray, pray, pray. If you've never, whatever your prayer life is, you'd better triple it. I believe over the next week, week and a half, there's going to be some interesting things. I believe so. 
If what I'm hearing, and there's a lot of disinformation, there's a lot of deception, there's a lot of uh, conspiracy theories going around, and we have to be very, very careful because most of us, especially if, you, if, especially if you voted for Donald Trump, you're hopeful and you want to see something turn around. But understand this, that even if something happens, and I believe something big is going to happen in the next seven to ten days, you watch. But if it doesn't, and the Biden and Harris administration get in there, what we're seeing with the censorship is only going to increase. Notice they're not really raising their voices at all about this. It's only us. It's only the conservatives. Only the Republicans are raising their voice. What is going on here? This is crazy. But the other side is just kind of like, what? What happened? Oh, is that happening? I'm surprised. Hypocrisy. There's hypocrisy on both sides. But that's gross hypocrisy. But make no mistake, even if our president is able to maintain another four years, do you understand? It's just going to be a finger in the dike. A finger in the dike. And again, is this meant to discourage you? No. But is it meant to sober you? Yes. But it's important that we know these things and we see where we're going. Because in Revelation, as we've been talking, especially in Revelation 17 and 18, and here's my segue, we've been talking about a one-world government, a one-world religious system. All of these things are coming into play now. They are all coming into play. The United States is the stumbling block to globalism. It's the stumbling block to a one-world Economy, it's the stumbling block to a one-world government. We have to be marginalized and, and embrace all the other nations who are just like us. It has to be leveled. We have to, our sovereignty has to be removed. Our freedoms have to be stripped. And are we seeing it right before our eyes? Very quickly, by the way, a pandemic was used as a catalyst, a Trojan horse, if you will. That's the way I see it, and maybe I'm wrong. I hope I am. But I got a feeling in my gut that this whole thing, it is a real thing, don't get me wrong, but... So saying that, let's read Revelation 19. We're just going to look at the first 10 verses. Thank you for letting me share that with you. I, I would probably explode if I didn't. And I'm growing, okay? Remember that. I'm... I'm, I'm 51, but for most of you, you're saying, oh, you, you may look at me, oh, he's still a young guy, and I thank you for that, because I don't feel so young. But I'm growing as well. I'm growing in God's grace. I'm growing how to, how to interpret and, and to filter all this stuff and how to see it and through the lens of the Scripture. And that's challenging. Let's read... Revelation 19, the first 10 verses, notice what it says. Now remember, Babylon has already fallen. In 17, we saw the false religious system known as the harlot was destroyed by these 10 kings that are going to be reigning with the Antichrist in the end days, which are coming upon us quicker than we'd like. (laughs) But then in chapter 18, we see the economic and the political destruction, the physical destruction of the seat of the, the Antichrist power, the physical city of Babylon. It is going to be destroyed. The smoke is going to ascend forever. 
And notice what it says in the very first verse here. Let's read verse 1 through 10. Uh, It says, After these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. And again they said, Alleluia. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give glory, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints." And then he said to me, blessed, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, see that you do it not. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy prophecy. And so as we look at these first 10 verses, we see that they're really a scene that is in heaven. This scene that we just read is in heaven. Next week when we get into, uh, (coughs) excuse me, when we get into uh, verses 11 through 21, it is going to be the part that I'm really looking forward to. And that's the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so we will look at that next week in totality. It'll take us a whole service because those, those verses are packed full. And so, and those verses, 11 through 21, occur on earth. It is judgment. It is judgment. But now we look at verses 1 through 10, and it's in heaven, and it speaks of joy. Notice the very first verse, after these things... After these things, we've seen this phrase over and over again throughout the book of Revelation... You've heard me say that it's a Greek phrase, meta tauta, which I'm sure means a lot to you. <laughs> but it, it, it means literally after these things. And, it, and it, what it does is it gives us a, a sense of motion in the events that are happening in the end days. You remember, it was, uh, remember after the church age was finished in chapter 3 of Revelation, what was the very next verse in chapter 4? It says, after these things... And then it spoke of a voice saying, come up here. And the church is removed at that point in the rapture. It's giving us a a detail of what's going to happen yet future to us, because we know the rapture can occur at any time. Hopefully it occurs today. (laughs) And I really hope it occurs today. No matter what, I want it to occur any time. The very next breath, Lord, would be fine with us. But this phrase, after these things, we see it in chapter 4, verse 1. We've seen it in chapter 7, verse 1, 7, verse 9, chapter 9, verse 12, chapter 15, verse 5, chapter 18, verse 1, and now in chapter 19, verse 1, it's keeping us moving forward. And it means, the reason why this is important is because it gives us an idea that whatever things were before this, these events are after. I mean, it makes sense, but sometimes you have to think about it and go, okay, what we've heard about with Babylon and it being destroyed, 
That's going to be the final thing, and then Jesus is going to return. But before he returns, there is this joy in heaven, sort of like the calm before the storm, the final storm, when Christ comes back to bring judgment upon the earth. And it's a joyful occasion. And it speaks of the marriage supper of the Lamb, which you and I are in heaven at that point. Because remember, after the rapture is, has been completed, we are with the Lord for seven years while great tribulation occurs on the earth. And then at the end of that seven-year period, Christ returns with us. We'll look at that next week. With all the saints, clothed in fine linen, you and I on white horses. Looking forward to that. In the book, uh, in these uh, first 10 verses, we're going to see exclamations and praises from at least five different groups or individuals. The first one we'll see is this great multitude in chapters 1 through 3. We'll see in chapter 4, excuse me, the 24 elders and the four living creatures uh, bringing exclamation and praise. Finally, in verse 5, a voice from the throne of God himself. There'll be a voice coming from, from there. Verses 6 through 7, a voice of a great multitude, perhaps the same as we're hearing about in verses 1 through 3 here, which is... At the very least, the, all of the redeemed mankind up, up to that point, the tribulation saints included, perhaps the angels. And then finally, in verses 9 through 10, we hear an unidentifiable uh, uh, voice, probably an angel speaking to John, telling him of things to come. But notice in verse 1, <clears throat> excuse me, it says, After these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude, you and I in heaven, along with the tribulation saints at the end of the tribulation. We will all be there, and we will say with a loud voice, Alleluia, hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. And we're going to see in the book of Revelation, four, or actually in these first ten verses, four different alleluias. And this is the first one. And hallelujah, we're going to see it in verse 1 here, verse 3. We'll see it in verse 4. And also in verse 6, and hallelujah, as I said before, means literally praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And this is the only time in the, in the New Testament and in these verses that you're going to see this word hallelujah are in those verses. Verse 1, verse 3, verse 4, verse 6. The only place in the old New Testament. And what do they say? Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. Notice, for true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by war. And remember, this harlot church was, from the beginning, uh, it murdered and persecuted the true believers of Jesus Christ. And we know at the very least, the foundation of this whole thing is the, the spirit of Babylon. We know that it, was, it's, it has infected the Roman Catholicism and even some factions or sections of Protestantism. But its foundation is, we, I believe, in Roman Catholicism. And it's going to get more interesting as we go on. But they have murdered Christians, Jews, prophets. And God will avenge the blood of the prophets and the saints that she has killed upon her. But make no mistake, as you remember, this is not just Roman Catholicism. This is apostate 
Protestantism as well. There's no need to point one finger at one group of people because we're all guilty. If we're not abiding in Christ and abiding in his word and we're involved in other forms of Christendom and other doctrines that have no foundation in the Bible but rather have their foundation in Babylon, we're in trouble. So it's important that we abide in Jesus Christ. Amen? It's important to abide in him because he loves you. I'm so glad that he loves. I'm so glad that he's taking care of us. Aren't you so glad? He's so good. And he has got a great and wonderful plan ahead. And I don't know about you, but as, the, as more time goes on, I am aching for that moment. There is nothing on this earth that I would be like, no, Lord, i got to wait for this to happen before. You know, when you're young, you have those ideas. Oh, Lord, you know, I, I want to be, be able to get my driver's license, you know, when you're a teenager. I want to at least get my driver's license and take that 57, you know, or take that Corvette out on the road if your parents are rich enough to buy you one. I want to get my first ticket before I check out, you know. I want to get to 21 so that I'm legal drinking age. Even though, even though I don't drink, at least I know I can if I want. I want to wait till I'm done with college. I want to wait till I'm married. I want to wait till at least I have my first child, Lord. I want to wait till at least when I retire from that job of 35 years and move to Florida and play golf. Some people have that, but there's nothing that holds a candle to seeing Christ, seeing him, the author of perfection, he who is beautiful beyond description. And notice in verse 3, there's another alleluia. This is the second one. This is the alleluia of retribution. The alleluia of retribution. Notice, again, this multitude in heaven said, alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever. Babylon the destruction of Babylon will continue to smoke forever and ever, even through that thousand-year reign while we are on the earth. Do you understand that? We're going to be in Jerusalem, I'm sure, and for a thousand years, you're going to be able to look over to the east from Jerusalem and look up in the sky, and you're still going to see the smoke rising from Babylon in the east of Jerusalem. going to smoke and God will see to it. He'll make sure that fire burns as a testimony, as a, as a, as a, as a warning even. Because not everybody going into the millennium will be born again. You and I will be in our new bodies, but there'll be people who are born during that time who still will have to give their heart to Christ. That won't be the ultimate utopia. The ultimate utopia we know is in the new heavens and the new earth where there's a new Jerusalem. After this current heavens and earth have been dissolved, well, we're going to get into that as we get into the last final chapters. But that's what's happening. This alleluia, her smoke rises forever and ever. It is an alleluia, a praise the Lord of his retribution. It's okay to praise the Lord when evil is being dealt with. Did you know that? The Bible is replete with accounts of the saints of the Old Testament, the New Testament, rejoicing when evil has been dealt with. There's nothing wrong with that. It's what we do after that that's the problem. We've got to be careful. Because we know that God doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. It breaks his heart. But there is an alleluia, finally God, 
this has, has had its day in court and it's been found wanting. There's nothing wrong with that. Notice, for true and righteous are his judgments. God's judgments are true. They're righteous. Everything that he does is in truth. And because God is omniscient, which means he can't learn anything because he knows everything, he alone is the perfect judge and has the right to judge by means of not only creation, but redemptive rights. He has the right to judge anything and anyone or any entity when he chooses, how he chooses. And the multi- this multitude in heaven knows that the great treachery of this false religious system and this city, Babylon, that has been a thorn in the flesh of humanity since the beginning of time. And there will be no qualms in their agreement on her destruction. We see this in other places in Revelation as well. If you remember, in Revelation 16, after the third bowl judgment is is unleashed upon the earth, one from the altar is recorded as saying this, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. True and righteous. I'm not so confident in anything that I do and and, and that I might, you know, reach out or or lash out against something that's unrighteous that's happened to me. I'm not confident in my attitude, but I'm confident in his. I'm confident in God's heart because his heart is perfect. He is perfect. And when he does and says something, he has the right to do it. And everyone will say, you know what, God, you are true and just in what you've done. And he will go, thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thanks for the pat on the back. I was feeling kind of lonely and, you know, feeling kind of, uh, you know, uh, my self-esteem was low and nobody was really saying how great I am and that really helped. Thanks. No, there's going to be none of that. We will all say true and righteous. No one will be justified who stand before God on judgment day. In Psalm 104, verse 35, it says this, Many may sinners be consumed from the earth, and and the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And here's our phrase, hallelujah again. It says, praise the Lord. That's okay. Retribution, godly retribution, especially when he does it, is righteous and just all the time. Excuse me. Notice in verse 4. The 24 elders and the four living creatures, they fell down and they worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. And remember these 24 elders, excuse me, try coming back from 82 degree weather and then coming back to this. It wreaks havoc on the lungs. The 24 elders and the four living creatures, they were introduced, if you remember to us, in Revelation chapter 4. And these are representatives, we believe, of the church. And whenever we see these 24 elders, I love this, we see them falling down. You look for yourself in Revelation 4, verse 10, in Revelation 5, verse 8, in Revelation 5, verse 14, in Revelation 11, 16 through 18. When you look at Revelation 19, verse 4, where we are right now, whenever you see the 24 elders, the representatives of the church, what do you see them doing before the throne when they're mentioned? They're falling down before him which is such a great and wonderful thing, isn't it? It's where I need to be more often, is on my face. And believe me, the events of our days have led me to my face in tears. Revelation 
So this is the hallelujah of realization. This chapter 4, when they say, Amen, Alleluia. This is the last mention of the 24 elders in Revelation. And when they said, Amen, Alleluia, what they are really saying is, <clears throat> so be it. Let it be done. Praise the Lord. Let it be done. Notice verse 5 back in our text. It says, Then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God and all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. I can't help but wonder if this is Jesus speaking or perhaps one of the angels or maybe one of the four living creatures. But notice what it says in verse 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of the voice. Okay, a voice, not a multitude now, but this is a voice of a great multitude. I'm sorry, a voice of a great multitude, excuse me. As the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Notice this is a voice of a great multitude, not a voice of a single voice like we see in Revelation chapter 1, verse 15. And it, it can be confusing. As you read through the scriptures, you'll notice one thing, and I've fallen prey to this myself often, is I hear phrases that sound similar to other phrases, and I tend to group them together because they sound the same, but they're different. And this is one example, because notice it says, and again, just bear with me here, but this is a good way to, for us to look at the scripture, to, to look at it, to really think about it. It says, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty thunderings. What does it say in Revelation chapter 1, verse 15? Speaking of Jesus, it says, his feet were like fine brass as it is refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. His voice, his single voice, it's like the sound of many waters, but yet we have this multitude that has a sound of many waters and great thunderings. And then we look at Revelation 14, verses 2. It says, And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. They sound the same, but one is a multitude, one is a person, or one is an individual. And then finally, in verse 6, we're going to see the, the fourth alleluia. And it's the alleluia of Jesus reign, reigning as king. <clears throat> and I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, as the sound of a mighty thundering, saying, and here it is, hallelujah, or praise the Lord, for the Lord God Omnipotent reigns. Does that phrase ring a bell on Christmas time? If you've been to any of the Handel's Messiah performances in the area, remember one time uh, Kathy and Ariana and I went to Asbury Methodist Church there on East Avenue, a really great looking structure, and they had the Handel's Messiah uh, there, I believe, is where we saw it, and it was just amazing. But Handel, George Friedrich Handel, was a Baroque composer back in the, in the Baroque period, somewhere between 1600 to 1750. And he wrote this oratorio called Handel's Messiah. And the text, or the libretto, or if you want, whatever you want to call it, is, came, comes right from the scriptures. In fact, this is one of them right here. You remember the Hallelujah Chorus. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Forever, forever, hallelujah. Right? Sorry, my voice is not quite there. 
but that's where they get it. They got it from Revelation. They, you know, Handel took uh, passages from Matthew, took passages from Luke, from Isaiah, from other prophets, and put them together in this wonderful, probably the best written piece of music in history that's ever been recorded, that's ever been written. But this is where he gets it, and he says, The Lord God omnipotent reigns. Praise the Lord, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. This word omnipotent is a really wonderful word. In the Greek, it's pantocrator. Isn't that fun? When I think of that, I think of panko breadcrumbs for some reason. Because my wife cooks and she makes, you know, rolls stuff in panko breadcrumbs and fries it. But I, I, pantocrator is the word. And what it means is supreme being. He is the supreme. He's the all-ruling God. He's absolute, universal, sovereign over the world, over the universe. That's who he is. Praise God for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. There is no power but his power. And you know, when we think of God, there are at least three attributes, at least three, that belong solely to him. This is one of them, his omnipotence Omni means many, potent means power. He is all powerful. He is also omnipresent by his spirit, right? Omnipresent. He's also omniscient. He's all knowing, science. That's what is omniscient, science. That's where we get knowing. He's omni science. He's all knowing. There's nothing he can't learn because he knows it all. He knows what's going to happen a week from now. He's got it all understood. In fact, he's got it all under control. Don't you worry, Christian. If you're one of those people who tends to fret, read Psalm, one, or read Psalm 37. Fret not because of evildoers. Your God is in heaven and he's got this under control. You've got nothing to fear. You can trust him. I'm trusting him. No matter what he does. And I love even what Job says, though he slay me, I will trust him. Though he allows difficulties in my life, I will trust him. All the saints over history have gone through difficulty, and we may, we may be going to be going through some difficulties before the Lord returns. We're not exempt. We've been living in Disneyland for ever since we've been born. Ever since this country has been formed, we've pretty much been living in Disneyland. We've had a, a really good a, a government that has been um, sympathetic and even supporting our Christian faith. That may be changing. But God is omnipotent. He's omnipotent. In Psalm 97 it says, The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad. Clouds and darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. A fire goes before him and he burns up his enemies round about. We're going to see that next week. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the Lord of the whole earth, the heavens declare his righteousness, and all the people see his glory. Let all be put to shame who serve carved images, who boast of idols. Worship him, all you gods, lowercase g. Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, Jehovah, are most high above all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. You who love the Lord, hate evil. If you, you love the Lord, then hate evil. Do you love the Lord? Hate evil. Do you love the Lord? Hate evil. He preserves the souls of his saints. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous. And give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. 
God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. What does it say in Romans 13? Let every soul be subject to the higher powers, for there is no authority but the authority of God. The powers that be are ordered. His power is given on loan. Does any, can anybody raise their fists and say, I am all-powerful? That's what got Nebuchadnezzar in all of his trouble, remember? As he stood on the, on the banks or on the uh, wall of Jerusalem, or not Jerusalem, Babylon, and he's looking around, this great Babylon that I have created, look what I have done. Ugh. And the Lord goes, you're done. Fail to give me glory. And after all that I've given to you, I've made you the king of kings, lowercase k in all cases here. I've made you the king of kings, Nebuchadnezzar. Give me the glory. And he did. He came around, didn't he? We read about that in Daniel 4. But it also says in Psalm 2, verse 6 through 8, notice, yet God is going to set his king upon his holy hill of Zion. And I'm looking forward to that day when all earthly men are all gone away. When finally, when Christ returns to the earth, he is that rock that's going to destroy the very foundation of all those world governments. They're all going to come crumbling down. The wind's going to blow them away like chaff, chaff. It's going to be gone. And one remains, Christ alone. And he is going to rule. There's going to be none of this uh, going into Congress and arguing and, and, and phony people coming out and saying, oh, you know, whatever. There's not going to be no phony business. He is truth and light. There's nothing that can escape him. That's going to be a relief, isn't it? Don't you thirst for that? Doesn't the Bible says, you, you, you know, blessed are those who thirst for righteousness. I don't know about you, but I thirst. I'm thirsting for it. I want that. I want to see it. I want to see him. I want to see his government in place. Jesus' government. Because it's only him. Looking forward to that. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the inheritance, the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Looking forward to that, aren't you? But notice in verse 7, let us be glad, back in our text now, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. Normally in a wedding ceremony, all eyes are on the bride, and rightly so. And the bride is a very important part. And in our ceremonies, that's what happens. When the bride comes through that door, everybody rises, and the dun, 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 we sing Mendelssohn's, you know, come, you know uh, here comes the bride, and she comes down, and all eyes are on her, right? And the poor stiff up here is just kind of waiting. Nobody's looking at him. But not so here. Notice what it says. Now, don't, I don't want to underestimate the glory of the bride, but the glory of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is so much greater. Let us be glad and rejoice and give glory to who? To him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And his wife is the church of Jesus Christ. His wife are you and me. You and I. Is that correct English? You and I are the bride of Christ. We are going to be married to him. We are married to him right now. The summation of that, the consummation of that will be at the rapture. He's already placed the down payment of his spirit inside of us, right? We have the spirit indwelling us, but then he's going to come back and redeem what he has put the down payment on. And physically, bodily, we're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye, rise to meet him in the clouds, and forever we will be with him. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, right? 
but his wife is the church. And there is, it's interesting, there's been no mention of the church up until this moment since chapter 4. Chapter 4, after the church age is, is done and the church is removed from the earth, there's no mention of the church until now. Because she's preparing herself for a feast. And she's going to come back with the Lord on this earth for a thousand years, the millennial reign of Christ. You and I, oh, I'm looking forward to that. Longing with all of my heart. Are you longing for it? Are you just loving it? Lord, bring it. Hasten the day. Make it happen now. Is there an app that I can, I can say, now? If we all do it at the same time, would it you know, maybe force his hand? I don't think so, but I would love to see that happen. But notice when we juxtapose this with the harlot church, the harlot church has just been destroyed, and now Jesus focuses on his true bride, not the counterfeit bride, the false bride, who in name, they're a chino, in other words, they were church in name only. They, the, the, this false apostate church, only in name only were they part of the church, but they really weren't his. He says, I never knew you. And if you know Jesus, you're going to be with him. Looking forward to that day. And the church was a mystery. It was a mystery. The, 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 the church was a mystery. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 26, it says, The mystery which has been hidden from the ages from, and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. This is Paul speaking to the Colossians. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory, the indwelling of the Spirit, the, the church itself has been a mystery in the Old Testament, now has been revealed in the New Testament. On Pentecost and forward, the church has been revealed. And I love what it says in Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives. And we think about Jesus being our husband. He is the perfect husband. He's not a, a chauvinist. He's not a beater. He doesn't play games. He doesn't cheat. He doesn't have an alcohol problem. He doesn't have a problem with pornography. Husbands, here's the exhortation to us in Ephesians 5.25. Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse. There's our job, guys, to sanctify and cleanse our wives with the washing of the water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that he should be that she should be holy and without blemish is jesus making us holy and without blemish in fact he has by the blood of christ you have been made righteous in his sight as i say as isaiah said the very blood of christ covers us and we will be made white as snow I like that. I love the, the, the thought of that. It almost seems like a paradox because blood stains everything, doesn't it? But the blood of Christ is so pure, it's, there's nothing wrong at all. It's, it's holy. It's pure. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Notice that. That's wonderful. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And I love what he finishes up here. And he says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. 
Those things are true of what a husband's role is with his wife. But he's speaking of Christ in the church. He has cleansed us. He has washed us. Soon he's going to come for us. Just as he promised. Has he ever lied to you? Didn't he say that I will come again to you? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I, in my Father's house there are many mansions, there are many dwellings. If it were not so, I would have told you. I will come again to you, that where I am, you may also be. <clears throat> Back in our text, and so it says, And to her it was granted, to the church it was granted, to be arrayed in fine linen, notice, clean and bright. Guys, isn't that great? You don't have to worry about your uh, stained t-shirts. You're going to have clean linen, clean and bright, and probably pressed. And you're going to look dazzling, all of you, all of us. In fact, when we're together, we're probably going to be so bright, it's going to be blinding to the eye. For God to put us all together and say, my beautiful, glorious church. And we get together, and he's just like, you're so radiant, I can hardly look at you. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Later on in this chapter, next week we'll look at um, when we return with Christ. Notice in verse 14, it says, The armies of heaven clothed in what? Fine linen, white and clean. There it is again. So the church is given white and clean garments. And guess what? We're coming back with him. There it is, right there. We, We know that that's us. And we'll follow him on white horses. You can laugh at that if you want. Oh, give me a break, really? White horses? Oh, you better believe it. White horses. I hope they're all stallions, too. Don't get me going. I've already died. I've already went off on a, <clears throat> a monologue on that one before. So, but any righteousness that we have, notice the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints, and our righteousness that we have has been given to us. It's been imputed to us because of the righteousness of Christ. It's not something that comes from within ourselves. David talks about his righteousness, but he knew very well that his righteousness came from God. It wasn't something that came from within him, and the same is true for us. Apart from Christ, I am nothing. I am just an accident waiting to happen. But with Christ, because his spirit is in me and in you, he cares about you. Oh, better believe it. He loves you with all of his heart. He's looking forward to it more than you are to see him. He's looking forward to it. Can you imagine the smile on his face when he sees the expression on our faces when it finally all comes to pass? And folks, I believe that time is coming sooner than ever before. He's going to look at us, and we're going to see him. He's going to be blown away, and we're going to be blown away. Verse 8, and to her it was granted to be arrayed in uh, fine linen, and the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Because after the rapture, we appear before the judgment seat of Christ, remember, And again, this is not a judgment of whether you go to heaven or hell. This is a judgment of what you've done since you become a Christian. What you've done in this body as a Christian, now that you've received Christ, there is a time of reckoning for that. It's not a, uh, it's a rewards or lack of rewards. It's not going to be, salvation is already done with. You're there. But now it's going to be, okay, now let's break this down a little bit. 
What I've done in your heart, what have you done with it? And all your works are going to be laid out. And what does it say? In Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will, will become clear. For the day, this day, this judgment, this bema seat, this judgment seat of Christ, of believers, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If any man's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as by fire. Do you hear what, I'm, hear what he's saying there? There's going to be rewards. There's also going to be a lack of rewards. I think it's going to be a big deal when this happens. You may think, well, as long as I'm there and I'm I'm in heaven, I don't care what happens. But I think when you get there, your attitude will change. Because there will be those who are going to be rewarded. There may be some that are going to be rewarded for many things, and you're going to be looking at that. And don't tell me about the the verses about there'll be no sorrow. I I, I get that, but this this is what the Bible says. Right? We're still going to be blessed. We're going to, be, we're going to be there. But don't you want as many rewards? Don't you want your life on this earth now to mean something and to be rewarded for what God has done through, in and through you? As opposed to being a Chino, Christian in, church, in name only, getting in there by the skin of my teeth and realizing that I've got nothing. All my works are burned, yet I'm there. Praise, praise God, hallelujah. But I think it's going to be a bigger deal then. Because we're going to realize what I've done. And I'm like, you know what, Lord? You did all this work in me. It's so important that I be an ambassador for you. I want to live for you. I want to be mindful of what I'm doing right now and how I'm living my life, the things that I'm filling in my life, the things that I'm doing, the actions, the thoughts, the deeds. All these things are so important. What are you doing? What am I doing It's a good thing to ask yourself. And again, no condemnation because if you're a born-again believer, you're going to heaven. But don't you want those rewards? Don't you want to take those crowns that he's going to give you and I, don't you want to be able to take them back and throw them at his feet? Notice verse 9, then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. It would appear that the wedding takes place in heaven, but this marriage supper of the Lamb takes place after the second coming of Christ, when at some point after the second coming, when all the battle is done, at some point, we believe that there'll be this marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, could it be in heaven? We can't be too dogmatic about this. It could be, but it could be on earth as well. We really can't say, but it doesn't really matter because guess what? It's going to happen, and you're going to be there, and I'm going to be there, and let me tell you, I'm going to take the spoon, and I'm going to stick it on my nose. Have you seen that? Sorry, I just have to introduce a little levity here because it's kind of heavy, and and I'll be the dunce you know, over there at the end of the table, and the Lord will look at me going, uh, Mr. Kellogg. Sorry, Lord. You know what? You knew I was going to do that. Yeah, I did. <laughs> you can't fool me. Perhaps at this wedding marriage supper of the Lamb, perhaps, 
Perhaps it'll be at this time. Zephaniah records something really wonderful. And, and, and again, there's more than likely more than one fulfillment of this passage because it's really talking about Zion, about Israel. But I almost wonder if in the marriage supper of the Lamb, in Zephaniah 3, verse 17, it says, The Lord your God is in your midst. The Mighty One will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love, and he will rejoice over you with singing. Can you imagine the voice of God, the voice of Jesus Christ, Pavarotti, Botticelli, or whatever that guy's name is, whoever it is. I think Botticelli was an artist, but you know who I'm talking about. The, the most famous singers. And yet here's the one with the perfect voice. He will sing over you, Christian. He'll sing over you, church. What will he sing? Weddings in the first century were normally included three stages. The first stage was the legal consummation of the marriage by the parents of the bride and the groom. They would make a a, a legal binding thing. It would be like a, a prearranged marriage. There'd be a contract written. And from that point on, the two individuals would be legally married, but they wouldn't consummate it. Usually that happened a year prior to them actually getting married and consummating the marriage. They would have the contract, and then they would live a year um, and it would be a test for both of them, these young people. We saw Mary and Joseph. They were in that period when Mary was found with child of the Holy Spirit. That's why it was such a, you know, page one on the National Enquirer. Right? That's why it was such a travesty. It's why it was such a tragedy. But then, after that one-year marriage, then comes when the bridegroom comes to claim his bride, and we're going to see that in the rapture. The contract has already been made between us and the Lord, and just like that Jewish wedding tradition, the contract has already been made between him and us, and then the stage two of it is going to be when the bridegroom comes to claim his bride, at the, and, and certainly you and I are going to experience that at the rapture of the church. We're going to be married to him. And then what follows that? Actually, let me read, read to you something. At the rapture of the church. Um, I'll go, just for the sake of time, I'll go there for you, but just uh, write it down or whatever. But I believe this could be in Matthew chapter 25, this could be that time of when the bridegroom comes to claim his bride at the rapture. Notice what it says, Jesus speaking. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Oil is a symbol of the Spirit of God. But the wise took oil in their vessels. The Holy Spirit in you, you're a Christian then, right? But if you don't have the Spirit of God in you, you are not a Christian. It doesn't matter what you do. But the wise took oil in their lamps while the bridegroom was delayed. They all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. And then all those virgins arose. They trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, said, no lest there not be enough for us and you. But you go, and you go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. 
Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Wow. Those were the people in church in name only. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ this morning? Are you one of his? Does his spirit indwell in you? Do you know it? Because I believe the Spirit of God will testify, will make sure that you know that you are a child of God. If you don't know that you're a child of God, please come up after the service. You don't need me. You can pray amongst yourselves. But make sure that you know. And until you know, you pray and say, Lord, I'm I'm in a fog. I don't know. There's no harm. Even after years of professing Christ, if you still have the cloud of, of doubt on your head, what are you doing? Get on your knees, get on your face, make it right, make sure. You must. Why be in jeopardy every hour? And then finally, the third phase is the wedding feast or the wedding supper that we're talking about now that's going to happen when Jesus returns to the earth. We believe that marriage supper will occur Sometime after the mess of the whole Armageddon and all that, when he sets up his millennial reign, somewhere in that time period is the marriage feast of the Lamb, the wedding supper. And perhaps, and this lasts several days in a normal Jewish wedding. In Matthew chapter 22, what does it say? It says, And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. Who's that king? It's God the Father. He arranged a marriage for his son, Jesus, right? And sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. And again, he sent out other servants, prophets and teachers, or prophets and uh, other things. Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted calf are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they They made light of it, and they went their own ways, one to his farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. We saw that with John the Baptist. But then the king heard about it, and he was furious, and he sent out his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, and those who are invited were not worthy. Therefore... Go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went into the highways and gathered together all that they found, both bad and good. The wedding shall be filled with his guests. But when the king came in and seized the guests, he saw a man there who did not have a wedding garment, a man who did not know him. So he said, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. And see, make your calling and election sure today. Know that you're one of his. Why live in jeopardy every hour if you're not completely sure? I'm completely sure. And believe me, it is not because I've done something good. I haven't. He's done everything. All I've done is respond to his love and grace. Isn't that the case with you? Know that you know. And folks, pray until you have that assurance. Because God wants you to have that assurance. And believe me, you need it more than ever today. You need to have that assurance. Otherwise, you're going to go crazy. 
You're going to need to have the assurance that Jesus loves you and that he has got you in the palm of his hands. Do you have the assurance? You must have the assurance. Why wait in jeopardy every hour? You must know him. And notice in our final verse, it says, And I fell at his feet to worship him. John was so blown away by all of this. And you see this in other times in John's uh, ministry. You see it in, in the very first verse in chapters, uh, chapter 1, verse 16, where he is before God, you know, and he's just like, he falls to his knees in worship. It's the only thing he can understand. He's just in the presence of this holy being. And even John here, and this is not Jesus that he's talking about, but he's still so blown away by the beauty of this, this person, whatever is happening, he, he's overwhelmed. It's like involuntary. He just drops to his knees and he starts worshiping. And what, and what does the, the person say to him? We know this is not Jesus because of what he says. He says, see that you do not that. Don't worship me. I'm your fellow servant and of your brethren who have testimony of Jesus. Rather, worship God. That's a good exhortation. One that America needs right now. Worship God. Don't worship any leader. As much as I love our President Trump, and I hope he gets in office for four years, there's no one like Jesus. Pray for our president, by the way. You think spiritual attack for a Christian is, is heavy right now? I've never noticed such intense spiritual attack as I have in the last few months. And he's, I don't even know if he knows the Lord, but let me tell you, he's feeling it. How would you like the whole world against you except for the 75 or 80 million that voted for you? Literally everyone else wants him dead. But Jesus Christ, you can't kill him. He already died once. Once and for all, he died. And he's coming back as a lion. Not as the meek and mild baby Jesus in the, in the manger, cute and cuddly. Oh, he's so cute. No, he's coming back as Aslan. He's going to come back like a lion. We're going to read about it next week. His, on his thigh is written a name that only he knows. And also another name, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Word of God. And he's gonna, his hair is going to be like lightning, his eyes like a flame. <sighs> Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And again, John, so blown away. It was sort of natural for him just to fall on his knees. And be completely undone. May that occur in our lives. May we get before him and just be prostrate before him. Say, Lord, you are awesome. I love you. Praise the Lord. Let's stand and praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this passage. Lord, it's a joyful passage. Lord, the, the joy in heaven before you return with your saints to the earth.
Lord, how we long to see you face to face. How we long, Lord, for you to to wrap things up. And while we await for your return, Lord, help us to be brave. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. Help us to be courageous. Help us to fight tooth and nail to the very end in prayer and on our knees in the ballot box. I have to qualify that statement. Unfortunately, Lord, help us to fight that way until you return. To you be glory and honor now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said? Amen. Amen.